Welcome back to the Hour Time Show, the show by Watch Geeks for Watch Geeks. I'm Victor Marks. Uh, I'm Nicholas DeLeon. And I'm the mysterious returning Patrick Kanza. Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Yes. yes. How are you? Back, back from the wilds. Okay. What watch did you wear when you were out adventuring in the wilds? Uh, actually, uh, as of, I was wearing my, my Jus Enstrom quite a bit to start out the year. That's excellent. That is, that is your second best watch. That is the second best watch that you own. <laughs> and what do you think my first best watch is? The Mickelson. Ah, yes. Yeah. Both, both very solid, uh, unique take. Well, interesting takes on GMTs. From countries we don't often hear about. Yeah. From the icy tundra. Yes. Well, they, they the Mickelson's perfect for that. I say the, the Jew was as well. Yeah. So how has it been wearing the second best watch? <laughs> it was great. You know, that's one of those things with reviewing watches. You don't get to wear your own stuff a lot. Um, so having that much time with it on the wrist day after day, it, it was nice. And now we're getting back into the swing of, you know, loaners hitting the review desk. So there's different stuff floating through. Okay. So what, what excites you that's coming up? Uh, well, can you talk about them or are they embargoed? I've got some stuff from Vare in right now. Um, and interestingly, one of those is one of their solar watches. And funnily enough, I've also got a Lumtex solar watch coming in for review very shortly as well. So maybe you have a little battle of the solar powered. Yeah. How do you feel about 36 millimeter watches? Uh, it, it's not something I would normally gravitate to, but I've got this, uh, the Vare, I've got their C3 on my wrist right now, actually, as we're speaking. And I'm surprised by just how well it looks on the wrist. I mean, the dial obviously is a bit small, but overall I'm, you know, I'm a fan. Yeah. Well, you've got a, uh, like a Mito 36 millimeter day date, don't you? One of the old ones? That, yeah, that old one is, I think, yeah, that might be a 36 or a 37. I, I would have pegged it at 36. That is, that one's super thin too. Yeah. You know those old Bolivar Super Sevillas are uh, are are all thirty six millimeter because that was the size back then, and so that's kind of what Vera is doing is is following those footsteps. Um, I still feel like wearing a thirty six feels small on the wrist. Well, yeah, it does. Like you know, for you know, one I was purchasing for myself. Like if I had an option, okay, do you want the thirty six or the thirty eight, thirty nine millimeter version? I'd go for that mm -hmm. slightly larger one just because, you know, not that I'm a ginormous guy, but it just, it looks better visually on the wrist to me. Yeah. I've been experimenting with 37 and a half, 38 millimeter watches lately. And they, they are a weird thing because the ones that I've been experimenting, I've got a diver that's a 37 and a half and a chronograph that that's also about that, that or 38. And I've got some smooth bezel cases that I've been building up with, with movements and dials of my own that are 38. And that just feels like such the right size. The, uh, they, they look a little smallish with the rotating bezel, but they don't look at all like the 36 smooth bezel. They feel bigger than they look and they're so comfortable. Yeah, well, it's, you know, they're not weighing, they don't weigh you down nearly as much, right? Just, you know, that 
seems like, okay, two millimeters smaller shouldn't be that much metal, but it, it makes a difference. Well, and the same is true with the, like a 39 millimeter field watch. It's just so big. What I what I've think I've decided, what I think I've come to understand is, is you know, these things, if, if you've ever experienced the Oris Diver 65 40 millimeter, mm-hmm. they feel a lot like that. You know, you get a, a nice thin bracelet that tapers really well. You get a, a case that doesn't feel like it's overwhelming. It's just right. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to find your personal Goldilocks. I think I have. Out of a something, something you're building up or uh, a purchase? Well, the, 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 the two, the, so the chronograph was a purchase and, and I'm actually really heartbroken over it. I mentioned this a while ago that I was going to buy a $300 chronograph. Basically, I paid 280 Swiss francs for it. Well, it got, it got weird because the address of the people that I, that I paid was in Switzerland. The amount of the, the, the currency was Swiss francs. The watch shipped from China. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it arrived. Typical. And, and I, I found, well, I, I, I found someone else had used pictures of the same watch on AliExpress. So either it's the same watch or someone stole the pictures. Hard to know. But the watch arrived and it was impossible to set. You pulled out the crown and I could pull it out as far as the, where, where there would be like a ghost date setting. Okay but I could not get it to pull out far enough to set the time. I finally just gave in and, and like seriously wrenched on the thing, like with more, more pull and more torque than I would apply if I were taking the wheel off of a car. It was like ridiculous. I thought I was going to break it for sure. And it moved ever so slightly into place and allowed me to set the time. And I put the crown back in and I tried doing it again and could not. So the time has been set once. I filed a case with the eBay seller saying what gives and I, I expect only nightmares from this point on. Well, that just means you can never let it become unwound. Pretty much. But it's it's running like a champ. I like the feel of it. I like the bracelet. I like the watch. I'm pretty happy with it. But no. The other one that I've gotten that that, that kind of a size is an old Sandoz Diver that's super comfortable. And it's like all the patina. It's been beaten to hell and back, and it's earned every bit of it. Every single scratch, every single scuff, it's it's like it it earned that. It's vintage, and I enjoy the heck out of that. But the 38 smooth bezel stuff are projects that I've been building up on my own out of parts, and I will reveal them when I'm ready. There you go. All right, so we've had a fairly collegial conversation here, but I think Nicholas has got some controversy waiting in the wings for us. Yes, everyone loves a good argument on a podcast. This will be the first <laughs> argument on a no. podcast ever, uh, ever recorded. King Seiko, ladies and gentlemen, King Seiko uh, announced. I don't. Do I use the word announced? Uh, Seiko, I guess. Let's just say announced uh, the return, maybe of King Seiko a few days ago, uh, and people. I don't know if I may. People seem to hate it. It's it's very divisive or divisive. All right. So 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 here's. The thing, right? Seiko has a lot of different brand names. They had Seiko 5. They have the, the Seiko watches as we know them. They have the Presage line. They have Grand Seiko. Now, going back in- Prospects. Well, Prospects is not its own branding kind of. It's, it's sort of in the mix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll allow it. The- it, going back in history, there were also things like Lord Marvel, 
Seiko Quartz, King Seiko Quartz, and King Seiko. And one of the weird things is though King Seiko and, and Grand Seiko used to be much more equals. And they they would compete with each other. One was in, in one factory or one division within Seiko, and the other was within the other. One of them was named Suya or Sua, and the other I can't remember the name. But you could always tell because there was either a lightning bolt on the dial or a a sort of tornado or typhoon, right? On the dial. And you could tell which design and which which group it was based on that symbol on the dial. That's not what we have here. Here, what we have is they've added this brand back to the mix, but it's not a competitor for their own Grand Seiko line. It is like lower priced than that. It is, uh, they retail $1,700. Uh, so that kind of puts them below Grand Seiko. I was trying to figure yeah, out like, what is the slot in here? What is the point of these? Yeah. What, you know, where do these go in the, in the lineup? Uh, somewhere between Grand Seiko and, I guess, presage, yeah. presage. Yeah. But a lot of people have very specific complaints. I was on the, I was on Watch You Seek earlier today, and people are basically tearing these things apart. You know, you name a complaint, they yeah. have them between the handsets. People really don't like that it's powered by the 6R36, uh, yeah, yeah. I believe, uh, movement, which is in, I, and I did confirm it's in the, I have the 2020 Alpinist uh, reissue or whatever you want to call it. That is the same 6R35. Just lost. Right, one of those. Anyhow, a lot of people think that's not a movement for a seventeen hundred dollar watch, and it just reminds me of the interview that Seiko gave. I think it was to the FT, maybe last summer, where the guy was like, "You know, we're going to turn things around. We need to, we need to get Seiko away from being like the value brand, where oh, it's good value for money. We want to make Seiko a desirable brand, where where you feel like, you know what, this costs seventeen hundred dollars, but darn it, uh, I'm worth it, type of thing." I don't know that people are really on board with that. Maybe this is just the watch media that I'm consuming, but I, I don't think they look bad. I, I basically have zero problem with them. I think, you know, am I going to buy them tomorrow? Probably not. But like, I'm not, All right. you know, a lot of people are like quite upset. So with these things. what they were trying to do with this model is they were trying to recapture or pay homage to the original King Seiko's. So the case is very similar to the original. The, the dial is very similar to the original. And that's not a bad thing. But sticking in a movement that you use in a more affordable watch is feels like cheating, especially when you have all of these movements available to you. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you're Etta or if you're Rolex, you have a limited number of movements available that you use. If you're Tag Heuer, for example, you use uh, an Etta 2824 pretty much, unless we're talking yeah. chronograph. And yeah, so yeah. you're going to put that in your affordable watch and you're going to put it in your expensive watch. Fine. Yes. If, if you're Rolex, you have one movement. You have the 3235 and you have the 3285 if you're making a GMT and you have the day date 3255, but you're going to put that in your Oyster Perpetual that costs six grand and you're going to put it in your day date that costs 40 grand. And the difference is the, the platinum case and so forth. Yeah. Right. But you, you only have these things as movements available to you. But Seiko has a load of movements available to you from the very cheap NH35 style, the 4R stuff that appears in, in everything, you know, everything from Invicta and Seiko 5 all the way yeah. on to, to the really fantastic stuff that appears in Grand Seiko. So they have a wide selection and they chose the thing that you can also get in an affordable thing. 
Now, it's possible that we're missing the clue here, right? It's possible that, that they are trying to make this more of an equal with the presage line, which is why they're using the same kind of movement. And the presage stuff stuff is for people who want modern looks, for people who want something that's, you know, with the, the GMT where they did with the hexagon dial. Yeah. And this is supposed to be more vintage, more mature. But I'm I'm not feeling it. It doesn't make clear sense yet. Yeah, I I don't know. Patrick, do you have any 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 thoughts on this uh, simmering feud? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Again, I maybe I'm an easy grader. I don't I don't hate them. I don't I, I don't think seventeen hundred dollars. Look, Grand Seikos are amazing. I, I think I think they're probably my my favorite brand, maybe. But like you know, five six thousand dollars is way different than seventeen hundred. Okay, so Grand Se- but Grand Seiko used to be like the best kept secret, right? If you were if you wanted a really good watch, you would get a grand like the Swiss Swiss people, Swiss brands, their brand owners, their brand presidents. I, I once read an article where they would secretly wear Grand Seiko watches when they weren't wearing their own brand because they were that good of a watch. Yeah, I I think that uh, cat is out of the bag now. Yeah, I think Grand Seiko is not. It's not. It's not quite the hipster brand, if I may, that it was a few years ago. It feels like. Yeah, I still kind of bothered by charging five or six grand for them. You know, they they should live in that. I would say twelve hundred to seventeen hundred dollars space. But no, let's bump things up. You know, that's one of the arguments for or against them, right? You know, if you talk to someone who's maybe just slightly familiar with watch and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get this Grand Seiko. How much does it cost? And you tell them, and, yeah. and, you know, their their jaw will drop. You spent what on a Seiko? Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You spent how much on a Seiko? Whereas, you know, the Grand yeah. Seiko, you actually have to understand the finishing that's going on, all the things that they're doing with the movements. What Grand means in this context here, yeah. Yeah, maybe there's something like that going on with this King Seiko, but if so, they did a you know, really poor job of conveying that information of justifying why this is a $1,700 watch. I, so here's the thing. We, we see a lot of micro brands who make the mistake of putting themselves up on Indiegogo and then doing the marketing work. Like they lay none of the groundwork ahead of time. They just, hey, we're here. And predictably those Indiegogos flop, right? And so I feel like Seiko, if they'd wanted to pull this move, should have been seeding information and should have been seeding a fan base for the King Seiko ahead of time. They they should have done a, a we're going to refurbish old King Seikos and we're going to publish blog posts about them and we're going we're gonna to send out some and say how great it is that this thing existed. And six months ahead of time, lay all that groundwork so that everyone understands why a King Seiko is special. And then you know what? We had this fun time doing this and we realized that there was something that people loved here. And so now we're making them for everyone. And you do that and people flock to it, right? Do you think there's even are, – are, so are we objecting to its mere existence or or where it is in the, in the stack or like how they've – like do you think if you were you know in charge of Seiko, uh, would you even – have brought it back where would you how would you have priced them how would you like where where does this belong in this is this the macbook air is this the macbook pro you know here's something that i think they should have done first of all i think they did this in the most ham-handed way possible for the both the launch and for well everything about it but what they should have done is one of the things that made 
the time period in the late 60s, like 69 and 70, so interesting for Seiko, for both King Seiko and Grand Seiko is because they had these two competing design divisions. Yeah. And they, they both were operating on, I think, similar design principles and then experimenting with the, with the, the freedom within those principles. Like you, you can look it up. Grand Seiko had design principles. There were like 10 rules that a Grand Seiko had to follow back then for it to be a Grand Seiko. And I think it would be super interesting if they revived that internal competition and even did the old thing of marking the dials so you could tell which group made which and that that would lead to more inspiring watches. I'm I'm going to make a a at a, a left field comparison. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe somewhere out there in Radio Lane will understand this. But a decade, well, two decades ago, twenty years ago, WWE, the professional wrestling organization, they basically split their company in two between the Monday Night Show and the Thursday Night Show. On the Monday Night Show, it was talking a lot of a lot of promos and like like uh, soap opera type stuff. Thursday Night was where it was more kind of bell-to-bell wrestling. You watch this Thursday night show if you just wanted to see good matches. The idea, or the comparison being that like it's still the same company, but they had two distinct flavors of of wrestling. If you wanted the talking stuff, you watch Mondays. If you just cared about the matches, you watch Thursdays. So, bring that back to Seiko. I feel like maybe that, yeah, like, like you said a second, they could have given King Seiko its own ethos or like let it let it do its own thing you know it's under the seiko umbrella but they kind of you know they've got enough uh maybe not rope but like they have permission and runway to go off into their own little direction and i don't know i don't know that that's what's happened here and i think that may be one of the reasons why folks are a little disappointed by it yeah and my kind of insane comparison thank you (laughs) so i i think that you know, they've, they've got the boutique near you, but if you go into the jewelry store or the shop, shopping mall, right, they are not anywhere on the same level as having the kind of uh, retail decorations that you'd see from a Tag Heuer or an Omega, right? They they are simply just in the no. case. And I, I think they haven't thought through raising how they're, they appeal to people, and they haven't really thought through how people view them. And that's why they need to do the work. They just haven't done the work to to accommodate and get people on board with where they think they're going. Well, it's I mean, yeah, they've got to figure out how these how these stratify, right? I know we often yes. compare watches to cars, but you know, it's the same like you know what you're getting into if you get a Toyota versus a Lexus. Or looking at domestic, like if you're looking, you know, on the GM lines, if you get the Denali trim level, that means something way different than just, you know, the basic work truck, right? So they need to kind of solidify or coalesce something around that to help explain, you know, why things are different. And maybe like Victor said, you know, maybe King Seiko is just, okay, it's the vintage look of the pre-Sage line. Yeah. All right. I'm bored. Let's talk about something else. Well, yeah, there was a bunch of other stuff this week. Uh, I guess LVMH had its big uh, LVMH week or whatever. Uh, did any of those? I mean, some of these are uh, all of them are outside of my price range, but a couple of Royal Oaks. Uh, there was also the interview, the Tag Heuer gave an uh, CEO gave an interview. Uh, Ooh, talk about that. Uh, that was, Tell me about that guy. He 
I, I find it hard to criticism because he's apparently a Nintendo fan, so I'm showing my biases uh, right here. <laughs> but he he was basically, uh, you know, he threw Steve McQueen under the bus. He he was really promoting Ryan Gosling as like the new, and you know, he is literally the new face of a uh, tag. He he, uh, what was it, the new Carreras a few months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so he. I don't know. Is Gosling? I, I was actually, we were discussing this earlier before we hit the record button. Like, is is Gosling like? I mean, I guess he's fine. So, I have nothing so against. So, what was the wait, what was the, what was the thrust of the Steve McQueen quote? We can't continue to survive on the legacy of Steve McQueen any longer. To or that effect. Like that. To the to that effect. But you know, out with the right. old and with the new is is basically what he was saying. Which well, I mean, but that I don't exact know. that exact statement of we can't live forever on the legacy of Steve McQueen. That you know. He's not wrong. Right. Steve McQueen's not living on the legacy of Steve McQueen for <laughs> anymore. And either. also this this CEO, he's a young guy. I think he's like twenty seven. So he's he's a he's a young man. You know, what is Steve McQueen to this kid? Probably not. Right. What is it to well, me, Frank? I mean, nothing. McQueen McQueen uh, died before this kid was born. Yeah. Right? And so if he's trying to market to like, you know, twenty three <laughs> year olds at a co- you know, the, McQueen is not a name that means anything to anyone. Yeah, if you say McQueen, people are talking about Pixar's cars. Yeah, I uh, yeah uh, maybe Lightning I haven't McQueen. seen that. So I, I'm sympathetic <laughs> to his like, and you know it was interesting too. We were discussing this in the Slack last week. There was a prominent uh, Tag Heuer fan site, Caliber Eleven, uh, I guess is shutting down. Uh, and and the you know we have no connection to Caliber Eleven other than we we, we like are fans. Their stuff. We like yeah, them. we're fans of it. The good stuff. Uh, and it kind of seemed that based on what Caliber 11 published, why they're shutting down, that maybe they're going in a different direction. You know, maybe the idea of like, well, blogs are for the John Biggs's generation and this new kid sees it as, as we're moving things in a different. So it, it seems to me that he is, he's a young man and he has new fancy ideas and he's, he's taken the brand into, I don't know, a young direct. What, what does that mean? I have no idea. It means tag uh, TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the new CEOs <laughs> say no more blogs. We're all about the TikTok. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I get maybe that's fine. I don't know. We're, you know, I think we're all older than 23 year olds on this call. So, what do, how, you know, how do 22 year olds consume media? I have no idea. I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> and, well, and how are 22 year olds affording tags? So, that's the thing. Th- this, this guy, right? This CEO got his job because he's someone's kid. Right, yeah, he was some. He's uh, I, uh, he's a prominent son, basically. Yeah, which is fine. You can't begrudge him his birth. And and who is the customer for Tag Heuer? Right, it's it's that's that's a question. Someone who goes to the mall and wants to be Ryan Gosling, I guess, or I, is, I, I, has some time to blow in the duty free, and it catches their eye. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I. I to me, tag, you know, as someone still relatively new to it, you know, t- tag means something to me because my dad w- was and is obsessed with Formula One. Uh, so I, you know, on Sunday, on Sundays, my dad was not watching the NFL; he was watching Formula One. And obviously, right. tag has a has a, a history yeah, with a model names as such. Yeah, and, so yeah. like I, I'm familiar with the brand because of because of my dad, basically. Yeah, um, and how many American kids? dads watched formula like probably not few percentage wise yeah few yeah so i don't know you know it's a good brand i you know i i know we've talked kind of glowingly about some of their releases over the past year uh they make good stuff uh i don't think anyone's saying otherwise but i don't know where in the in the uh pyramid of like brands where does who who does that speak to not quite sure i mean it's it speaks to chavs 
It speaks to people who <laughs> <laughs> it speaks to people who who want to be stylish. It speaks to people who are fashion oriented. Um, I I own. I've, I've owned uh, a couple of them, right? I had the, I had some of the eighties, uh, 2000 professional series, nineties, 2000 professional series. I had a, I had an automatic one from 1991 that I got rid of. And then I have a quartz one that's from about the same time period that I I've been reviving. I need to put a new movement in, but I've got the bracelet and everything for it. It's complete. Yeah. And then I have a couple of, of more modern aqua racer cases that, that I need to do something with. Uh, I need to get a crown for one of them. And, the Aqua Racer design, the Aqua Racer case, is, is a really. I, I have to give them some credit, right? They they took a design that was kind of of traditional and kind of tired from the two thousand professional divers of the nineties, and by giving the bezel a lot of diamond cut edges, yeah, and really keep polishing it up and giving some facets to it, they made it look sharp and they made it distinctive. It's not just another dive watch. So yeah. no, I, I like credit the, the, to them for I that. Like that. Yeah. But the where do they fit in the scheme of things? You know, they're another one of these companies, like we're talking about with Seiko, inflating the prices way up. So it used to be that Tag was your affordable entry into good Swiss watches, right? There was Swatch, yes. there was Tissot, and then there was Tag. And, Tissot, and I think he addressed that in an interview this week. He's like, well, you know, we want to be the watch that you own forever. He said some, something to that effect. Yeah, something to that effect. And that's that's very nice. But now you're putting yourself in the in the five grand category again. Which is which is if he is trying to market to to young to you know to youngsters, you know, the twenty year olds or whatever, how many twenty four year olds have five thousand dollars to spend on a I mean, I didn't know any. I certainly wasn't one. Uh I mean, I assume they exist. I mean, they obviously they exist, but uh I don't know. Uh, but do they exist in numbers to fund a watch company? That's yeah. I, that is I, a question. <laughs> that's a different question, and I definitely don't know the answer to that. Uh, I I don't know. Here's one of the problems: is that when you bring prices up, it's really hard to bring them back down. It is it is I easy agree, to yeah. increase them. It is super hard to decrease them. And I'm very interested to see where Tag Heuer goes under his leadership. I expect things to cost more, but I wonder about where the design language goes. One one thing that could be interesting if he is trying to market to to, to you know young people basically, I, and I wonder to what degree are let's say Zoomers are basically over like technology. They sit in front of a their phone all day, in front of a computer, Zoom, and all this nonsense. If if there is maybe a like a, like a small rebellion or whatever against against like the just the, just tech everywhere get yourself a nice analog watch that is not connected to anything it is powered by the movement of your arm i i i wonder if that's not a more maybe not a more but like i feel like that should be marketed more uh if you're going after young people is look everything's connected in your life everything buzzes it's, it's ridiculous and annoying this thing it's your it's your moment of zen uh, I don't. I don't know that I've seen that like tra- uh, marketing tack used before, but that I don't know that that would speak to me. I think if I were you know a twenty three year old today, like everything is everything's connected to my phone. I'm over this nonsense. Oh, yes. this watch it looks kind of cool. Oh, and and it's not connected to anything. That's that's kind of neat. I don't know. I could just be a weird nerd, but yes. uh, I feel well, like that might be interesting. And well, I, and I think that's what you know, tag was trying to do like with their, their connected watches, right? First get the, the 
tech obsessed focused person in here's your smartwatch and then maybe you know a couple years down the line that they can then trade that in to get a mechanical when they decide they're tired of the buzzings and you know the yeah, wrist lighting when it, when it no longer connects to your phone because it's old or that yeah yeah and they did in that interview they did bring and this was on Hodinky obviously we'll link to it in the show notes uh, he did bring up the uh, the Mario uh, Super Mario Mario I say Mario Mario smartwatch uh, apparently sold out basically instantly so they consider that a success. Yeah. I was not su- I, even though I'm a huge nerd. I was not super into that watch. I don't think, but they considered success and sold out immediately. So I would not be surprised if we see more. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe more, well, maybe Nintendo or more video gamey stuff. I don't know. The thing that was interesting that they talked about in terms of connected was Naomi Osaka, the uh, the tennis player, where they they you know someone asked them why why isn't she wearing a connected, and the answer is. You cannot wear communications devices on the court, and the connected watch gets classified as a communications device. Yeah. So she can't wear the connected on the court. She has to wear something else, which I thought was intriguing and interesting. What else got announced? We're gonna we, we got just like minutes a few to go minutes here. left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of Royal Oaks. I kind of glazed over those because I'm just not in uh, not not in the market for Royal Oak anytime soon. Those were the. Big ones, I think. Uh, Zenit had Zenit. a bunch. Had, had okay, I mean, yeah. They had a bunch of information come out. They've got a vintage reissue uh, of of the original Defy. Uh, there's actually we'll have an article up on the site next week about that, um, and their new Skyline, uh, which is actually kind of a it's a really intriguing watch in that it's got the. Uh, El Primero movement in it, but it's a three-hander. It's not a chronograph. Huh. It's a three-hander with, instead of a seconds indicator, it's it's a one-tenth of a second indicator. So it's just this little hand buzzing around the whole time. That's kind of neat. Yeah. And the dial texture on that, you saw that, Patrick, right? The dial texture on that made me think of the AP. They they did a guilloche dial. Yeah, I saw that. It also made me think of a, uh, a biscuit. Sure. What kind of biscuits you eaten? Well, th- well, it's because we've been watching the Great British Baking Show. It's oh, you know, cookies. Oh, sakes. Oh, <laughs> I saw. I, I wrapped that up uh, a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, on that note, that's all the time we have. This has been the Hour Time Show. I'm Victor Marks. I'm Nicholas DeLeon. And I'm Patrick Kanza, heading back off into the wilds. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Hour Time Show, the official podcast of wristwatchreview.com. Feel free to email us at tips at wristwatchreview.com with your feedback and suggestions. And please be sure to visit wristwatchreview.com and wristwatchreview on Instagram for more fun watch content. Have a nice day.